Okay, we're learning Dav Samach Tesh, and we're discussing the halacha that a father is supposed to provide a dowry for his daughter. But the idea of a dowry is very different than other chiyuvim that a father has to provide, in the most basic sense that it's not an absolute requirement. A dowry is a strong mitzvah, a dowry is strongly recommended, but it's not a technical monetary obligation um, as opposed to, let's say, other things that are included in the Ksuvah. Let's say support, sustenance, sustenance for one's daughter. That's a basic obligation. It's a monetary thing that a father has to pay. A dowry is not like that. However, the Rabbanon came along, and this is the complexity of the sugya, the dowry. The Rabbanon say that after, after a, a, a father passes away, the estate obviously is inherited only by the boys. The girls do not inherit any of the estate, but they're entitled to a tenth of the estate for their dowry. That's the concept. And as we're going to see today, it's like kind of inheritance, kind of gift. We're going to see. It's a little complicated. But the question then becomes, what happens if the, the boys inherit all the father's estate and they sell properties? They made a few deals after the father passed away, but the, before their sister had gotten married, so she hadn't collected her dowry. Now, two, three years later, she meets a guy, she's getting married. Oh, what happened to that, uh, to that building that our father owned? Oh, it was sold. We made a deal. So the shaila is, do they have the right to go over to the person who bought the, the, the real estate and say, I had a lien on that. I, that was my property. I had a, a possibility of that being my dowry, so I can take that away from you. I, you spend money on it, go cry to my brother. Oh, you have to deal with him. But me, I had a lien on that building. That's the question that we start off the day with. So the Gemara says, Tole Rav Larabi Beni Chiti. Here he, uh, Rav sent the following Shaila between the lines of a letter that he sent to Rebbe. I think it's very interesting how the Gemara says that, how it's like that. Like he sent him a, Rav sends Rebbe a letter, and between the lines, he stuck in a halacha shayla. Now, what was the shayla? This following question. If the brothers were mishabed, we'll see that's a vague word. It has two meanings. So what is the halacha? The question is, what is the law? Could their sister come and collect their dowry from it after the brothers were already mishabed their property? So we'll have to figure out what the word mishabed means. So when Rebbe got this question, right, he got the letter and he read the question, Rebbe was sitting in front of Rebbe. So Amalei says, Rebbe, what, what, what is Rav's question? Machro is the question where the brothers sold the, the, the property. And the question is, maybe the sister can collect uh, away from the buyer. Or maybe he's just talking about a case where it was only pledged, meaning the brothers took out a loan and they use this piece of land as a security from the loan. So a type of security, it's interesting because it's kind of moved on to the, to the lender, but it's not fully, right? The, hopefully the plan is that the borrower will pay back the money and it will go back to him. So what was the circumstances? What did the brothers do with the real estate? Did they sell it? And the question is that, that maybe the sister can take it away or no. Maybe they can't take it away from a buyer. But if it was just pledged as a security on, a, on their loan, there she would be able to take it away from the lender. So Amalei, Rebbe said, Lamaisa doesn't make a difference. Either way, whether they sold the properties or whether they pledged the properties, either one. What is the law? They could take it away for Parnasa. Parnasa means provision. Provision is always a term for the dowry. They could, in fact, take it away for the dowry. Rebbe holds, they're entitled to it. It's theirs. There's a property, there's a lien on that property. They could take it away. But... For their sustenance, they cannot take it away. Meaning, let's say they need food. Remember, that's another thing that they're entitled to from the state, from the estate. The girls, until they get married, can take away money from the estate for their food. That they're not allowed to take from properties that were sold. And again, what's the difference? We spoke about this yesterday. Is that a dowry is a is a defined amount. It's a tenth. So since it's a tenth of the estate, it's understood that there's an expectation. There's a risk if you're a buyer from an heir who inherited property, then you have to wonder, maybe there's a dowry here, a tenth, and therefore there's a lien on it and the girl can take it away. But 
If you're talking about sustenance, how much is sustenance? So it's an indefinite amount. It depends. I don't know. How old is she? How much does she eat? It's complicated. How many girls? It's not so simple. So since it's not so simple, the rabbi said that it's not a definite lien that's on the property. So the Gemara now asks for Rav. When Rav was asking the question, why did he use? He used a very interesting word, right? When he was asking the question. He said a word that means two things. And he said, Shishibdu. So the Gemara said, why did Rav use that ambiguous word? If you want to know about a case where the brother sold it, he should have written to Rebbe where the brother sold the property. And if he was asking about the case where it was pledged as part of a loan, as a security for a loan, then he should have written in the letter, brothers, brothers who, pledged, who pledged the property. So we're asking, why did Rav word the question that way? Lamaisa didn't matter because Rebbe's response was, whether it was pledged or whether it was sold, the daughter has the right to take it away. But why, and when Rav was asking the question, did he formulate it with such an ambiguous word? So the Gemara says that Rav actually was, a very, was very creative here. Rav Rav was asking both questions. Rav wanted to know both where it was pledged as a, as a security for the loan and where it was sold. Can the daughter take it away? But if it's sovereign, he thought to himself, if I write brothers who sold, it would be good if Rebbe says that we collect from the sold properties, then all the more so, the girl can collect if it was only pledged. But let's say I ask, can, if, 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 the, if the brother sold the property, can the girl collect? And Rebbe responds, no, he, the girl cannot collect. Then I'm still going to wonder, what if they only pledged it? Could the girl take it back? And so in other words, basically, the story is that it's more of a novelty that the girl can take away if it was sold than the girl can take away if it was just pledged as a security. And obviously the difference is, in the case of a sale, it's like final, it's binding, there's already a transaction. A security, it's still kind of the, 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 the Yarshim's. So if Rebbe would say that she cannot take away from a sale, then I didn't get my answer for whether or not she can take away from a, from a pledge. One second. So therefore, I'm not comfortable just writing the question, could, could, could she take away if it was sold? Because definitely Mishkano, and if I write of brothers who pledged it, because of Le'imotzi, and if Rebbe would respond, we cannot take it away, then very good. I can infer for, if she can't take it away from a security, certainly she can't take it away from a sale. But and if Rebbe would respond that we do collect from a pledged property, I wouldn't be sure what's the halacha if the property was sold. So I'm not going to be able to tell. So what's the brilliant idea of Rav? I'm going to write an ambiguous word, a word which can be translated in one of two ways. Shibdu encompasses both, whether it was pledged as a security or it was sold. Damash mahachi, umash mahachi, it implies both sold and pledged. And that's going to force Rebbe's hand when he gets my letter. He's going to have to answer both scenarios. And that's exactly what happened. Rebbe got the letter. They couldn't tell which case he wanted to know. Was it a case where he was pledged as security or a case where it was sold? And Rebbe addressed it. And Rebbe ended up with saying, Rebbe's opinion was that what? That the girl can take it away even when it was sold. Yeah. How does somebody just practically when you're buying something? How do you know about the lien? Very good. So we rely on, on the system of coal. So coal is rumors. Very interesting idea of rumors. But basically, we, we assume you got to imagine you live in a small little town. You're not living in New York City. You're not living in a place where you're living in a small town idea. Everybody hears about the estate. Everybody hears about that. But also, there's another point as well, which Chazal will go with, which is background search. Right? And I think we definitely have that today. So today we may have it in more of a sophisticated manner. But that's basically, you know, the buyer should be beware. You know, the beware of the buyer. All right. Says the Gemara, not everybody seems to uh, agree with Rabbi's Psaq. Rabbi Yechon Amar both this case, the dowry and for sustenance, in Motsian, the daughter cannot take it away from properties that were sold. So he disagrees. Rabbi Yechon holds, she girl cannot take it away from a buyer. Talk to Gemara, Yubailu, Rabbi Yechon, Lo Rabbi. And what the Gemara is working through is, who came first, Rebbe or Rabbi Yochanan? Rebbe. Rebbe is the last of the Tanon. Rabbi Yochanan is a little bit, a little bit later. He's more of a, 
I mean, he's not there much later, but the point is he's in the Amoram. So is it the idea he didn't hear what Rebbe said? Had he heard what Rebbe said, he would have accepted that he was wrong. Odilma, perhaps, Shmiele, he did hear what Rebbe said, but he didn't accept. So that's always a classic Amar question, where do we really have the right to say we have a disagreement on our hand? Maybe Rebbe Yochanan just wasn't aware of what Rebbe had said, but had he heard it, he certainly would have accepted it. So the Gemara says, Tashma, let's try to figure out. The Itmar said, Misha Somebody dies, he leaves two daughters and a son. So again, daughters do not inherit when there are sons, right? So there's two daughters who have a right to their dowry from the estate, but the primary uh, heir on this estate is the son, okay? The first girl went before her sister, meaning she got married first, so she took a tenth of the estate for her dowry. Great, she's entitled. For the Ospika Shneela goes, the second girl didn't have the opportunity to collect her dowry, she hadn't yet gotten married. Until what happened? The son died. Now the only son died. So what happens when a man has no sons? Where does the property go? To the girls. So at that moment, what happens to the whole estate in general? It all goes and split between the two sisters. So the Shiloh is very good. Everybody's going to split the estate. But at this point, is it fair that the first girl had an extra tenth than the second girl? Once the son died and now we're just inheriting the whole estate... So it's not fair that now when the second girl gets married, she's, gonna, she's not, not going to get a special collection of her tenth. Is that fair? The first girl, got, first girl got in, the second girl didn't. On the one hand, maybe it is fair. When the second girl got married, she collected away from her brother, who was the principal heir at the time. She took a tenth. And now when the second girl will get married later, at that point, they're just equal yarshim. So there's nothing special to collect. The halach is that the second daughter has forfeited her right to claim her dowry. She doesn't get it. Because once the son died and now they're just splitting the estate 50-50, there's no special collection of a dowry. We're, we're assuming the son doesn't have kids. Correct, correct. So Amr Rab Khanina said to Rabbi Yochanan, you're wrong, it's not true. The second girl to get married should have her right to take a tenth. Why? Because the Rabbanan said even more extreme. There's even a more extreme thing that was said. What did they say? Let's say this inherited estate was sold. The girl can collect it away from someone who bought it. We said even a more extreme thing, that the right to collect the dowry can be taken away from, even from, from, a, from a purchaser. Even if the deal was made and it was sold to somebody else, the girl can go and collect it. She can nullify a deal. And you're saying the second daughter for forfeits her right to collect her dowry and when her sister and her inherit it? So meaning, what's more of an extreme statement? That, 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 that clearly the fact that she can go and break up a deal. So if the brother sold it and it's in a different person's, tra- it's completely transacted now and it belongs to somebody else. The girl who has a right to a dowry can go and collect it away from, from, that buy- from that buyer. If that's true, then all the more so the right to the tenth and the dowry should not be lost just because now they, they inherited it. That's his point. But that's making the assumption that that law is true. The premise of the argument that he just said is that even the more extreme thing that they take it away from the buyer, that the dowry can be taken and break up the deal. So all the more so that when they're in, they, they end up both inheriting it, she has a right to, 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 her, uh, to, her, to her tenth that she would have had if it was by the brother. So you clearly see Reb Chanino, when he was asking Rabbi Yochanan, was assuming that Rabbi Yochanan would agree to him in that premise. So the Gemara says to him, Isa, if Rabbi Yochanan never, if Rabbi Yochanan didn't, didn't, didn't agree to name a lay, he should say, who said that? Meaning Rabbi Yochanan shouldn't be moved by that because Rabbi Yochanan should say, who told you you're right? Who sold it? Who said that if the brother sold it, then the girl with the dowry has the right to take away the property? Maybe she doesn't. So if in the fact that Rabbi Yochanan's not, not jumping in on that, it sounds like, no, that's a strong premise. So the Gemara says, Maybe he actually never had heard about it. When he subsequently heard about it, he did accept it. 
However, Shani Hassan, you know why he didn't respond? Because the cases are obviously different. It's very different why if the girls end up inheriting the property, the second girl doesn't have the right to an extra tenth. You know why it's different? Anyway, she's profiting, which is a very interesting svar. Once you end up becoming the inheritors of the estate and you're splitting it with your sister, don't get petty that she took an extra tenth when the brother was still there. You just inherited half an estate. Calm down. You would have, if the brother would still be alive, you, maybe you get it, that's the tenth. Now she, the brother died, you're getting half an estate. You're going to get petty on your sister that she took a dowry before? That's what Rabbi Yochanan didn't respond. That's very interesting. Maybe really he would accept the fact that a dowry can be collected away and break up a deal if somebody else bought the land. It's considered a lien on the property. You know why he didn't bother responding? Because it's not really a good point, a parallel to our case where they end up inheriting everything because the boy died. Here, calm down. Look at all the profit you just made, so don't go to your sister, which is a very interesting argument, right? In other words, if you're entitled, you're entitled. The fact that you happen to also make a lot of money, who cares? That's what the Gemara says here. Says the Gemara, the Gemara challenges that. Like, this is exactly what I think the Gemara is, you know, imagine you, someone says that to you. You just, it's very easy to say, right? You just inherited a lot of money. Why do you care about the extra 10? Yeah, I'm entitled. Right? What? Yeah, well, the mice, that's an, it's a right. The mice, you're right. The, the, the point of why there's a dowry is filled. You're right. The point of the dowry is fulfilled once she estate, once she inherits so much. But, uh, legislated that she has, yes, she has such a right. So let's see. According to your reasoning, let's say you have an orphan daughter and she finds something, right? She finds something. She found a diamond in the street. She happens to be that she's a very rich girl now. She found a diamond. What, she doesn't get her dowry? Because she found a diamond in the street, she shouldn't get a dowry. If you're entitled, you're entitled. Don't make a reason, you know, that, that, that you don't need the dowry because you found the diamond. Ravashi said, but there's a big difference. I'm saying she already profited from the properties. Meaning, if you found the diamond, the diamond's got nothing to do with the estate of the father. So then, even though you found the diamond, you still get your dowry. But here, the part is, you already inherited your father to such a big extent. You already have such a, all, half the estate that you just inherited, so you don't get so petty on the extra tenth that you needed from the, out, out the dowry. All right. Continues the Gemara here with alumnus. We know the daughter gets a tenth of the estate from the brothers out for her dowry. But Amar Amemar, Bas, Yoreshes Havya. She's considered an inheritor. The way that the rabbis legislated that she takes a tenth, it's not that she's like a Balchov, she's like a creditor against her brothers to take a tenth. Chazal legislated, even though normally a girl doesn't inherit from her brothers, that's why they're getting all of it, she inherits a 10%. That it's in the gather of an inheritor. So what's the nafkamina? Amalek and the Mar now challenges. That would mean that if the brothers want to give her cash and get her out of the land, they can't. Meaning, let's say there's a building. The father left the building. Instead of owning a 10% stake in the building, if she would be an inheritor, she would own a 10% stake in the building. Instead of owning 10%, no. She just has a monetary right. So according to what you're saying, that she's an inheritor, they can't give her cash and send her flying. Is that true? I'm laying. Yeah, that's true. If she would just be a creditor, so then they could give her cash and send her out. But since she's a, since she's an inheritor, they can't. They don't have a right to do that. The Gemara probes further. You buy this Let's say there were a bunch of buildings, right? And she owns a ten percent stake in all of them. That's the way it works. If you have a bunch of yarshim and one of them is a ten percent yorish, so it's like there's a bunch of homes. Each in each home, she owns ten percent. What if the brothers say, you know what? We're going to just allocate a ten percent of one home for you, 
and that's where everything will come from and get out of the rest of our business. The brothers can't do that because she's an inheritor just as much as them. If she would be, again, a creditor who just has rights to monetary assets, they could do that. But if she's an inheritor, she, now they can't do that. I'm going in. You're right. They cannot compel her to accept a specific uh, piece of land. Now the Gemara says there's a different view. It's a machlokas. Actually, a daughter, she's just like a creditor. She just has a monetary right to a tenth, but she's not an inheritor. Says the Gemara, Amemar eventually retracted. A woman came in front of him, she wanted a tenth of the estate. She was getting married. I saw that what was his opinion. I was able to tell that if the brothers would have the cash, they could get rid of her. Why? How could I tell? That's what I made my help. I heard that the brothers were saying, If only we would have some liquid cash. If only we had some cash right now, we'd get rid of our sister with cash. Amimar didn't say anything to them. So why not? Must be because he agreed with them in the halacha. That is in fact the case. That if the boys had the cash, they could get rid of the, the, the sister's claim of 10% with cash and keep all the land for themselves. So, so we see that even Amimar, who originally held that, that the brothers cannot do that, he eventually retracted his opinion. So now the Gemara gets more lumbish. Now that we said that she's a creditor, now let's ask further. The Abba or the Acha? Is she a creditor of t- towards the father or towards the brother? Now, the father's dead. So what do we mean is she a creditor to the father? But there's a difference in Allah. Very big difference. Very important difference. What happens if, if someone uh, owes somebody else money, right? He owes someone money and then he dies. What's the halacha? The creditor can go to the yarshim and collect. But, number one, he has to make an oath because the yarshim didn't borrow money. So they don't know the dealings of their father. Number one is the creditor has to make an oath. And number two, he has to collect from the most inferior type of land. That's the law. You can't take from the best, most compact type of land. Now, but if you're a creditor to the Yarshim, directly to them, then you don't have to make an oath when you collect from them and you can take from a better piece of land. So that's the Nafkamina. How did the Chazal legislate this law that she could take a tenth from her brothers? We already established, we just went through, she's a creditor, she's not an inheritor. Who is she? Who owes her the money? Is it Pshat, the father owes her the money, but she's collecting from his inheritors? Or Pshat is, no, her brothers directly owe her the money. Is she collecting an average good piece of land without making an oath? That's if she's a creditor towards her brothers directly. Or no, if she's a creditor towards her father just going through her brothers, then she can only collect the inferior quality piece of land and she has to make an oath. So my, what's the halacha? So the Gemara says, Tashma, let's bring a proof. There was a story, Darvina collected the dowry for Ravashi's daughter, from Mar, the son of Ravashi, meaning the dowry was collected from her brother. It was average land, and it didn't require an oath. So clearly, it is a uh, direct creditor, she's a direct creditor to her brother. When he collected it for the son of Ravashi, the son of Ravashi, meaning her brother's son, then it was Yiboros Bishvua. Then he took inferior land only with an oath. So what happened here? Let's just explain. How is she collecting both from the brother and a nephew at the same time? So what happened was like this. Rav Ashi had his son, Rav Sama, who died while Rav Ashi was still alive. When Rav Ashi died, what happened? So his, his state was inherited by one remaining son, Marbar Rav Ashi, and the grandson Mar, uh, by Rav Sama's son. That's what happens. If two brothers were alive together, they should be Yarshim. If one brother died, but he remained with his son, the grandson and the, his uncle, the primary son, will inherit together. That's exactly what happened here. So now, when the sister came to collect from her brother, where she has a direct credit, 
She's a creditor directly against him. She collected without an oath from a good piece of land. From her nephew, that she was really, her really the father owed her the money, she collected from Zibur Shalom So we clearly see she's a creditor of the brothers. Says the Gemara, When a girl comes in front of you, you should collect the tenth of the estate, even from the base of the mill, meaning the millstone, the base that you put the millstone, that's considered real property. Meaning, what's real property? Real property is even something, anything that's connected to the ground. It doesn't have to be a, a, a building. Even the base of a millstone is something that you would collect from. We would collect, collect the dowry even from rent payments. Meaning, something that the house produced, like a rent payment, is also considered a karka. It's a very big chiddush. In other words, anything that the land makes, even if it's not physically connected to the ground, it's cash. Lamaise, that's coming in. It's cash flow. Oh, so that's the big question here. It's a very good question. What would be if fruits were picked? Do you collect from that also? So while they're connected to the ground, for sure, they're part of the ground. It's a little complicated once they're picked. Says the Gemara, look at this story. I'm around getting, uh, taking offense one to the other. Ravanan said to Rav Huna, Huna, he called him directly. He didn't refer to him respectfully. He said, Huna Chavin Shlom, Huna Arkali, peace to you. That was his message to him. And he said, when a woman comes in front of you, collect the tenth from the father's estate. Rav Shesha was sitting in front of Rav Huna when Rav Anand's message came in. So Amalei, Rav Huna said to Rav Shesha, he was very upset, Rav Huna, that he was called by his first name. He took umbrage to that. It was very offensive. He didn't call him Rabbi or anything. He just called him Huna. So Rav Huna said to Rav Shesha, Zil Amalei, go back to Rav Anand and give him the following message. And if you don't say it to him, you should be excommunicated. Meaning, Rav Anand is going to give him a sharp bite back. And he needs, he's sending it through a messenger, but he wants his messenger to really say it. So he said, if you don't say the message verbatim the way I'm telling you, you're getting put in chayim. What, what do I want you to tell Rav Anan? Call him by his first name. Anan, Anan. Send him the following thing. Anan, Anan. When I collect the tents, should it be from real properties, even from movable properties? And another question is, who should sit at the, at, at the head in a house of a marzecha. Marzecha, we're going to see, refers to a mourner. And we want to know, should the mourner sit in front or should the mourner sit in the middle? That was the two questions that he sent him. But the point was that he sent it to him with his first name. He sent him a good dose. You should feel the way I just felt. So I remember Shesha said, no choice. He has to fulfill this. He's the emissary here. He's caught between these rabbis. So Amalei said, Mar Rabba. Mar, master, Ravanan is a master. Ravuna Rabbeid Rabba. Ravuna is master's master, meaning you should you should have you shouldn't have done that, Ravanan. You shouldn't have called him by his first name. Ravuna said he's gonna excommunicate whoever doesn't say the following message. If he wouldn't have decreed that I would have been excommunicated, if I don't say this, I wouldn't have conveyed it. But Lamaisa, what did he tell me to say? And then he said it over. When I collect for the woman, is it from real property or even from movables? Who sits at the head of the house of a Marzecha? So Hazar Ravanan coming to Rabbi Ravanan then went in front of Rabbi and he told him over the whole story. Amalei Chazimar Shalich Ravuna. Do you see how Ravuna addressed me? You know what Ravuna said about me? He called me by my first name. He's called me Anan Anan. So it's very hard to understand this story. If he called him Huna Huna, so then how come when he called him Anan Anan, he, he suddenly be like all petty about it? It's hard to understand exactly in the story. He asked me this question about a marzecha. I have no clue what a marzecha even is. He wants to know who sits at the head of the house of the marzecha. I don't know what a marzecha is. So Marukva tells Ravanan as follows. Amalei Marukva said, Amalei, easy. Tell me right now. Let's start from the beginning. 
Tell me what happened here. Let's take a step back. How did this whole story happen? So Amalei Ravanan said, He told him exactly what happened. So Amalei, Marukva explained to him, You're a person, you don't even know what a Marzecha is. He put him in his place. He said, Ravanan, you don't even know what a Marzecha is. You're asking what a Marzecha is. You're so ignorant. You don't even know what a Marzecha is. And you're taking a fe- And when you sent a message to Ravuna, you called him by his first name? Meaning Rav Anan came to Marukva for a little sympathy that he was called Anan Anan. Marukva throws it back at him. He says, you don't even know what a Marzeicha is. You can't even figure out Ravuna's question. And here you are, you called Ravuna by his first name? So at the end of the day, Rav Anan really, he took the, the beating over here. And he was the one who instigated the whole thing when he originally sent to, to Ravuna, who was his rabbi, he should have been more respectful. Okay, what's the takeaway? I'm not sure exactly. I guess don't call the rabbi by his first name. Says the Gemara, and now we want to know what is the Marzecha. My Marzecha. It's a mourner. So in that context, it's talking about Yirmiyah, that he shouldn't go comfort the mourners. It's talking about the ideas that it's going to be so sad, that death is going to become so common that people aren't going to even bother mourning. That's what's going on by Yirmiyah. Don't even bother going to the house of mourners. Anyway, so we see that it means that. So Amar Avavo, now we see the answer. Where does the Avavo say? Where should the Avavo say? Where should the Avavo say? He sits at the head. I would choose their way of Eishev Rosh. I will sit at the head. And this is the idea. That this is by Eov. Right? He wants respect. He wants honor. And that's the idea that the mourner sits at the head. Yinachim achir mashma. Says the Gemara, the grammar's off. Yinachim means the one who's consoling. It sounds like, no, actually, the one coming to console sits at the head. So the Gemara answers in it. The way we read it is yinucham. He will become consoled, which is a reference to the mourner. Says the Gemara, another source, excessive mourning will approach, which we mean, someone who is bitter and zach, like he's removed, he will become the noble one in front of other people who come to console him. So what does that mean? He'll become the noble one. He'll be sitting at the front. All the people who come to console him will be sitting in front of him. So we see this is the idea that the mourner, in fact, does sit um, at the front. Continues the Gemara Marava, how do we paskin? First of all, is that the dowry is collected only from real property and not from movables. This is true for the sustenance for the girls after the father passes away. They collect their sustenance from the estate only from real property, not from movables. This is true when a woman collects her ksuba as well. She collects it only from real property. Even for a dowry as well. And again, what did we learn a couple of, we've learned this over the past week. What's the idea that you only collect from real property? It's the only thing people have security in. That's the only thing. So when there's a lien and properties are owed, this and that, we only say that real properties are owed, not movable properties. All right, here we go. Continues the Mishnah. So again, a daughter has the right to a dowry, but here the father is barking out instructions from his deathbed about what he wants to happen, how he wants the daughter to get the dowry. And specifically what he said is he took some cash and he gave money to a trustee. And he gave the money to the shlish. That's mashlish. He made it by a third party. He gave it to a trustee. And he said as follows. And what, what did he say? The bishop doesn't even say for exactly what he said. But the point is, he instructed that a piece of property be bought specifically for the daughter. So instead of just leaving an estate and leaving it to his daughter to go fend for herself, collecting a tenth, when she gets married, he did something else. He took cash, gave it to a trustee, and he said, you're in charge of this. I want you to go take care of my daughter. And the expectation is, he'll go buy a field. Don't belong to her. That's what the guy did. Now, here we have son-in-law problems. She says, I trust my husband. Meaning to say, just give my husband the cash. Famous last words. Give him the cash. Instead of allowing the trustee to fulfill what the father said, 
go buy the piece of land and it'll be her personal land. She says, you know what? Just give him the money whenever I want him to. He'll buy me what I need. He'll buy me my field. He'll I'll take care of me. Very interesting. So it sounds like she is making this request after she's married over here. And we'll see in the Gemara, it might not be so simple. She might only be in Arusa. She might only be betrothed. She might not be living yet with this husband. But that's her desire. So she wants that the cash be given to her husband. And the father had intended, it seems, that it should be given to the trustee. The trustee should buy a field for her. So what should we do? Do we listen to the girl? Do we listen to the trustee? Who, who, what do we do over here? So it's a dispute. We say the trustee should do what he was instructed to do by the father, Divirem there. He should totally ignore the daughter's request. Yet why? Because he has an obligation. There's an idea, mitzvah l'kaim divirem. There's a mitzvah to fulfill the desire of the deceased, what he wanted, what he instructed to do. That's what he should do. He should disregard what the daughter wants. Says Rabbi Imagine that it was a field and she wanted to sell it. It was going to be sold anyway. So what's the point that he's saying? What's the point? We're going to say, oh no, the trustee has to fulfill the father's wishes. He'll buy the field. He's going to bring her the field. Okay, take the deed, everything. What's she going to do the next second? If she wants, she could sell the field and get money and give it to her husband. So we're not solving anything. If she demands money right now, we may as well listen to her. So this is making a practical consideration. Don't get all righteous at me that you have to listen as a trustee to the, to the wishes of the father. And because anyway, she's going to get it. She can do whatever he wants. She may, she, we may as well just listen to what she wants now. Says the mission at the end, when does this apply? This is all if the girl's an adult. If she's still a minor in my sectonic loom, whatever a minor does is meaningless. So the Gemara is going to try to figure out who's talking in that last line. We'll have to clarify that point in the Gemara. All right, now the Bryce is going to elaborate on this dispute. Again, what is the case? The Bryce goes over it. Someone deposits money for the trustee, and, he, um, and the trustee is supposed to eventually, is supposed to give it to the new couple for the son-in-law who's married to his daughter. And the idea is that the trustee is going to buy a field for his daughter. Now, just to clarify, the son-in-law is going to benefit from this deal, right? Either it's going to be Nisan Son Barzal, which goes into somewhat to the Ksubar, Nisan Milugri even enjoys the right to the produce while he's married to her. So all is going to benefit, but the primary owner of the field is going to be the daughter. That's definitely the intent here. The hero merits, and again, she is saying, instead of buying me the field, you know, Sulabali, just give the cash to my husband and let's trust that he's going to do the right thing with it. He'll buy me what I need. So Minan if she said so after she was already in Nisua, she's already fully married. She's living with this husband when, when her father died and this happened. Or just be other. She has the right to have her request fulfilled. Um, because after the Nisuin, when the husband's already using the wife's properties, then we assume that the uh, that, that that we would assume that what the father wanted is that in a Hanami, everything would just go to the son of life, everything's good. They're already living together. That's all Mina Nisuin. But Mina Erisin, where to, where it was said after Erisin, they haven't yet been living together, Yasashmash. That's where a mayor says, no, then the trustee is only supposed to go and buy it for the girl. It depends. If she's an adult, whether she's had after Nisun or after Erisun, or just be other, she has the right to have her request fulfilled. Katana, if she's a minor, whether she said after Nisun or Erisun, we don't listen to what the minor wants, and rather the trustee should do what he was instructed. So the Gemara says, My Benai, what is the case where they're disagreeing? The question is, are they disagreeing in the case of a minor? at all or only in the case of an adult during Ayerson. That's what we're trying to figure out. In other words, we're trying to figure out within Rameir. Rabiosi was pretty clear. Rabiosi was pretty clear. A minor we never listen to. An adult we listen to whether it's during Ayerson or during Nisun. The question is Rameir. That's, that, that's the part that we're trying to clarify. So the Gemara says, Maybe you'll tell me that they're going to argue about a minor after Nisun. Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Meir, she has the right to have her, uh, her request fulfilled. 
Maybe Rabbi Yosef is coming to say, even after Nisuin, only an adult has that right, but not a minor. The Gemara says that can't be. Because Ema Seva, what was the end of the Mishnah saying? The end of the Mishnah said, in the case of the minor, the minor, what she wants is meaningless. Haman Katanila. Who is the final, the final empire of the Mishnah referring to? Elim Rabbi Yosef is referring to Yosef Yerushim Mishamasla. I can already imply. From Rabbi Yossi said that a minor is not listened to. Dom Rabbi Yossi, what did Rabbi Yossi say? His whole point was practical. If you give her the field, she could sell it now and anyways give it to her husband. So that only makes sense if it's a gadola. A gadola could sell. Gadola vasvini, vasvini lo. Rabbi Yossi's whole argument is that even if you'd give it to the girl, she could sell it and anyways do it, so you may as well listen to her now. That whole argument only makes sense to a gadola who has the power to sell. A katana who tries to make a deal, it's not honored. She has no das. She has no intent. She has no, she has no das whatsoever. So clearly Rabbi Yossi is only talking about a gadola, not a katana. So the end of the Mishnah, which makes that very point, cannot be Rabbi Yossi because that's superfluous. It's redundant. Rabbi Yossi already said the whole point is that she could sell it herself if you'd give it to her. So why even bother? Clearly, Rabbi Yossi's whole argument is only to a gadola. We don't need the end of the Mishnah for, to be within the opinion of Rabbi Yossi. El we have to conclude it with talk about Rameir. It says, if the Mishnah was missing words, and this is what it's saying. Rameir is saying that the trustee should do what he was instructed by the father and not listen to the daughter. When is that true? When the daughter makes the request after Erison. She's already done it after Nisu and she has the right to have a fulfillment. And then the Mishnah says, this, that, Rameir says, the girl, Minna Nisu, has the right. That's only big adult. So bottom line is, I know it's a little bit complicated, but we come out with a simple point. If the girl is a katana, everybody's on the same page. We don't listen to a word she says. We don't listen to a word she says. It doesn't make a difference. Ayerson and Nisuin, no difference. We're always going to do what the father wanted. If she is a gadola and she's after Nisuin, Everybody agrees we do listen to her. The dispute is one thing. Gedola, she's betrothed. She's a gedola. But she's not yet living with her husband. That's where the dispute is. Rameir says, we listen, the trustee listens to what the father wanted. And Rabbi says, no, we want to listen to what the girl wanted. What's the halacha? Itmar, it was stated, that we listen to the girl. And the trustee is meant to listen to what the father wanted. Okay, we'll stop here. We'll pick up a few lines in the bottom tomorrow.